you suffer from numbness, tingling, burning, or pain in your feet and legs? It could be caused by something as simple and common as a B1 deficiency. This is Dr. Ronald Hoppen with a solution for low B1. Zobria. Zobria is a safe, effective, and clinically proven nutritional supplement containing a high-potency bioactive form of vitamin B1, which has been shown to reverse symptoms caused by low B1 with no side effects. Low B1 causes your nerve cells to stop functioning properly, resulting in numbness, tingling, burning, and pain in the feet and legs. It may also contribute to forgetfulness, loss of mental focus, fatigue, and loss of appetite. Restoring proper B1 levels has been shown to improve the functioning of these nerve cells. You can get Zobria risk-free by going to zobria.com. That's zobria.com and get 20% off with coupon code Hoffman at checkout. This offer is only available to Intelligent Medicine listeners. That's zobria.com. Vitamin B1 perfected. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today we're going to talk about uh, GMOs, but we're going to go beyond simple opposition to Roundup and GMO crops. Uh, Our guest today is Jeffrey Smith, who's a consumer activist and author of two books on genetically engineered foods. We interviewed him well, way back when, several years ago, when Seeds of Deception came out, exposing industry and government lies about the safety of the genetically engineered foods you're eating. He's also the author of Genetic Roulette, The Gamble of Our Lives. There's now a broader view of a scary future for mankind. It's kind of a dystopian tampering with nature that will leave our planet irrevocably damaged. And so uh, Jeffrey Smith is uh, leading an initiative called Protect Nature dot uh, Protect Nature Now, and their website is protectnaturenow.com. I suggest you check it out. Uh, he also, uh, since he's a, a documentary director, uh, he has a new film entitled Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. So uh, we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion about some of our some of the threats uh, that face us as uh, technology runs rampant over nature. Uh, welcome back, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure talking to you once again. It's great to talk to you again. It's been a long time. Indeed. So uh, well, t- tell us a little bit how uh, you've, you've broadened the scope from simple opposition to uh, glyphosate and uh, GMO crops. What's going on now? Well, there's a new sheriff in town, or actually a new criminal in town. Um, the genetic engineering of old has shifted to gene editing. And you may have heard of CRISPR. It was mm-hmm. awarded a Nobel Prize to the people. That yeah, I, I just read the Walter Isaacs book on uh, the origins of CRISPR. Oh, excellent. Kind of blows excellent. your mind about, you know, uh, you the, the amazing potential for good, but also the, the incredible potential for abuse that tampering with our genetic material and genetic material of crops and animals have you know there's the two things uh, there's the intentional change and then there's the unintentional side effects and we'll talk about both but just for a moment what the book doesn't fully appreciate is that right now there's plenty of evidence showing that gene editing creates massive collateral damage 
from simply cutting in the wrong place in the gene to bringing in excess DNA from another source to shattering the chromosome and having it rearranged in different orders and also passing on inheritable epigenetic effects for at least 10 generations. So it is way, way not ready for prime time to release a genetically engineered organism created from gene editing or any other source into the food supply or outdoors. Now, this was the case for the original gene genetic engineering as well, and this was the warnings of the scientists at the FDA that got a deaf ear. You know, they were they were speaking to a deaf ear because the person in charge of policy at the FDA was Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney, later Monsanto's vice president. Monsanto, of course, is the big GMO the company. usual revolving the door F- at the FDA. Exactly. So now, because we have been so successful as a movement, and I pioneered the messaging on the health dangers of GMOs, with starting with that book, Seeds of Deception, and then I spoke in 45 countries and trained 1,500 people to speak on the subject. Now 51% of Americans believe that GMO foods are not safe, 48% of the world's population, and that's true. But with gene editing, we have a number of other threats that are actually existential. And I'll get to the worst one in just a moment, but the most, the one that's that's kind of devastating initially is if you consider that genetic engineering of an organism, once it's released, it's irreversible. It can propagate in the gene pool and change the nature of nature. When you consider that the most common result of genetic engineering is surprise side effects, when you add to that that you can now buy a gene editing do-it-yourself kit on CRISPR for $169, add to that that the government has abdicated responsibility for oversight or safety assessments in most countries, now you people have people actually doing biohacking. You know, they buy these kits, and you know, uh, foreign governments can get a hold of them in in, in rogue nations. But also, they're, they're sort of a Silicon Valley uh, subculture. People biohacking with CRISPR kits. It's crazy. I know. And the thing is, if you create a biohacking kit for one or two thousand dollars by mail order for about a price of dinner. You can create a new genetically engineered microbe and release it into the environment. Yikes. Now, here's where we have, so from the bigger scale point of view, we could be replacing nature in this generation with all things with DNA could be replaced by whether you're a biohacker or a do-it-yourself kidder or a Monsanto, you're creating new organisms. And these organisms have unpredictable side effects, and there's no way to know how they're going to interact with each other. But of all the different organisms that you can genetically engineer, the ones that carry the most immediate and serious dangers are the little guys, the microbes, the Mm -hmm. microbiome. So if you release a genetically engineered microbe anywhere on the planet, it can theoretically travel around the planet. It can mutate. It can attend bacterial swap meets where it could take the genetic change and pass it on to hundreds or thousands of different types of microbes, let alone the actual population of its own species. So now a gene that was created in a garage or in a biohacking kit or even by a company that was well-intentioned, and we're going to describe a potential cataclysm that was nearly avoided in the 90s, released for one purpose in one location you could end up damaging or collapsing ecosystems in other locations or causing health damage to the population as a whole. So I promised that I would give the, the example of the sure. cataclysm. I think this one lays it out there 
And this is in the film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. I interview Dr. Elaine Ingham, who is a professor at Oregon State University, and her graduate student to get his PhD decided to do research on a genetically engineered bacteria that was going to be released uh, in the environment. And then once they were ready, they were going to send it out to all these different farmers well-intentioned, because instead of burning the crop stubble, you can rake it up, put it in a barrel with genetically engineered bacteria that turn that into alcohol. So <laughs> two weeks later, you can now run the tractor on alcohol and take the nutrient-rich sludge at the bottom of the barrel, spread it on your fields as fertilizer. But what they didn't realize and what the graduate student did, and he didn't certainly didn't need to do the studies because the bacterium was already approved by the EPA, he found that when he spread the nutrient-rich sludge, it turned the field infertile. It actually had bacteria that continued to function, taking the roots and turning them into alcohol. Fortunately, Whoa. he did it indoors and didn't release it because we now have confirmed that bacteria that's genetically engineered could travel around the world. And in my film, as you'll hear, Dr. Elaine Ingham says the natural consequence of releasing this into the environment, if indeed spread and displaced its natural counterpart, would be the end of terrestrial plant life on <laughs> planet Earth. It would desert desertify the entire planet. Uh, you know. Yeah. Amazing. But, you know, okay, well, this is something that happened in the 90s. This is a cautionary tale. But are, are there actually uh, uh, projects on the drawing board uh, which involve the use of modifying bacteria, say, for agricultural purposes, or maybe, you know, putting them in a big fermenting vat to uh, yield some kind of useful medication or useful uh, industrial product? Uh, that goes on all the time, doesn't it? It does. There's not a lot that's being released now in agriculture, but there's enough. Joint Bio, a joint venture of Bayer slash Monsanto, plans to release genetically engineered microbes in soil uh, later this year or next. Uh, and there's also another biotech company that's interested or that's also doing something like that already. Um, and of course, they're using the synthetic biology indoors in vats for fermentation to create flavorings and mm -hmm. to isolate yep. and produce even um, supposed active ingredients of herbs. But what what's interesting is that, again, they, they don't do sufficient research into what can go wrong. They assume that what they did is the only thing that'll happen and that the mm -hmm. gene will be contained and that the bacterium will be contained. These are all false and childish type of um, uh, assumptions. And I'm working with people right now, for example, who are creating methods for soil bacteria to do the heavy lifting with regenerative agriculture to draw down the carbon from the atmosphere to reverse all excess carbon in the atmosphere in a short order. But they realize that the soil microbiome does the heavy lifting. And if that gets damaged from some genetic yep. engineered uh, microbe replaced, you know, put out there, that it could completely hamper their, their now promising research. But as a doctor, you are aware, of for course. Carbon that, capture, because yeah. that's the natural cycle uh, which occurs in, uh, in nature with plants and soil. Exactly. And you're aware, of course, of the the incredible nature of the human microbiome and, and its link to disease, mood, behavior, um, the inoculation of the next generation, fecal transplants, all that. It's like we're in awe of the programming of the microbiome 
But we also know that small changes can cause devastating problems with health, and they can also be passed on to next generations. Imagine if you release a GMO microbe as a probiotic for a soil in an Arkansas field, and it ends up in the gut of infants in India or somewhere else in the world, you may be wreaking havoc, and it's completely untraceable, Mm -hmm. completely irreversible, Mm -hmm. and we're dealing with something that at this point is entirely unpredictable because we haven't even characterized most of the microbiome let alone understanding its interactions and how it has co-evolved with humans and the environment. And, and we have a, a stark example of uh, what happens when we tamper with viruses with the likely origins of uh, the coronavirus from uh, a lab in Wuhan, uh, you know, based on uh, uh, gain of function uh, research, which is essentially tampering with the genome. But this this, this is for viruses. Uh, we, okay, bacteria, but what about uh, some of the projects that are on the drawing boards right now? Uh, GMO salmon, for example. Uh, I think that's nearing approval if it hasn't yet been approved. Maybe there are a couple of stumbling blocks, but uh, it's, it's, on our, it's on its way to a supermarket near you. It is approved, and they're going to avoid the labeling requirements in supermarkets that have been imposed by members of Congress from Alaska who wanted to protect their wild salmon industry. So they organized a law so that if some genetically engineered salmon is sold in a in a supermarket, it must be labeled. So the Aqua Bounty Company that's creating these genetically engineered salmon in tanks in the Midwest is going to sell them through restaurants and catering organizations so no one will know if they're eating a genetically engineered salmon. Now, the approval process for the salmon was able to turn a blind eye to a dramatic increase in the potential allergenicity, the dramatic increase in the potential of increasing the amount of a cancer-linked hormone, IGF-1, as well as other Mm -hmm. growth hormones, because they only used six fish, and so the statistical significance was not achieved even with a 50% increase. Mm -hmm. So it was completely rigged research that could end up devastating human health, but it may even have a bigger impact on the environment if those salmon were ever released into the oceans. A similar salmon was reared in Canada and tested in tanks, and when the genetically engineered salmon was given sufficient food, there was no problem, but they were fast-growing salmon that were supercharged with growth hormone, and they were ravenously hungry. So when the amount of food was reduced, the frankenfish freaked and killed off or and ate many of their competitors, so it caused mm. population crashes and extinctions in all the tanks, whether it was 100% mm. genetically engineered or a mixture. So if these, if these get released into the environment, it could destroy the salmon population. And right now, there's genetically engineered mosquitoes that... Yeah were released in Florida in May, and now we... Uh, in, in, infertile <laughs> mosquitoes, in other words, designed to, to be sort of a, uh, a you know, Trojan horse for uh, eradicating a mosquito population. Right. The original one was um, the, the completely infertile offspring. Now they have a thing where they kill off all the females, supposedly, driving driving the uh, Aedes aegypti mosquito populations down in order to prevent transmission mm-hmm. from Zika, Dengue, and Chikungunya. However, um, they're now trying to roll it out into 12 California counties. Uh, Oxitec, the maker of it, has petitioned the FDA 
and we're trying. We put out press releases and letters to Congress people to try and stop it. But when you look at the mosquitoes again, we're talking world, completely worldwide changes. There, I remember arguing with one of their senior scientists, Derek Nemo, when we testified before the Mosquito Control Board in Key West around 2014, and. He promised me up and down, he said, there's no way that our mosquitoes could ever damage the gene pool because they're self-limiting. As soon as we stop releasing them, they'll quickly die off. I told him he was being naive. Unfortunately, I was right. Because three years after they had released millions of mosquitoes in Brazil, they found hybrid mosquitoes in Brazil that had a combination of hmm. DNA from the Oxitech mosquitoes and from natural mosquitoes. These completely new to nature in insects could be harder to kill. They could more easily carry diseases. Mm -hmm. They could do things we never knew. No one has tested them to see if they're a problem, and no one anticipated them from the from the company side or the EPA that approved it uh, in the United States. Yeah, Jeffrey, it sounds a little bit like a Jurassic Park. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, these dinosaurs are infertile, uh, whatever safeguards uh, they undertook, and then, well... The law of unintended consequences, uh, and he, he had uh, mayhem. You know, that's a plot from a science fiction novel. Uh, there's another. And, and the uh, thing is, yeah, I was going to. I was going to say there's. There's. I'm. I'm not. Uh, I wonder if you're familiar with the works of uh, Margaret Atwood, who writes uh, dystopian novels. She wrote The Handmaid's Tale, for which she's she's best known, but she also wrote uh, a a sci-fi novel called Oryx and Crake, and. The premise in Oryx and Crake is that we undertook uh, some sort of uh, genetic modification of uh, crops and animals and created a end-of-the-world scenario and that there are all kinds of uh, <laughs> weird mutant animals uh, that are sort of uh, uh, chimera of, of different uh, genetic parts that are roaming the landscape. Uh, it, it sounds like there's a potential for that to come to fruition. And never more uh, possibility than right now because of the inexpensive gene editing, combined with a global campaign by the biotech industry to convince governments that gene editing is precise, predictable, safe, and even natural. None of those are true. It's very dangerous. And yet countries that have bought in that turn a blind eye to most gene-edited organisms include the United States, Australia, Argentina, Brazil, Japan. Now the UK and, the, and Canada are going to put out official comments after being pressured by lobbyists, which we I'm afraid may turn out again, you know, ignoring all gene edited organisms released into the environment or into the food supply. The EU is under pressure to reverse its position. So this is, this is what could ultimately be the greatest existential threat in history, unfolding right now before our eyes in the form of corporate lobbyists and lies, and a new technology that can redirect the streams of evolution for all time, and whose number one most common result is surprise side effects. The microbes can, can bite us first, even faster than the mosquitoes. They can wreak havoc. We've seen what happened with viruses, with pandemics. Bacteria can spread that way. Viruses are part of the same microbiome we're trying to protect. And another goal of Protect Nature Now at protectnaturenow.com, also featured in my latest film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, is to stop the gain-of-function research that you talked about, where they 
turn potentially pandemic pathogens into enhanced pathogens and knowing the more than a thousand lab accidents that have been reported in high security laboratories it's simply stupidity to allow these things to go on it's testing fate in a way that we should not do and but unfortunately it's easy to explain why not to enhance genetically engineered pathogens it's harder to explain why should we should never ever ever allow anyone to release any type of genetically engineered microbe intentionally into the environment yeah. intentionally mm -hmm. you know let's back up a little bit and talk about uh, the consequences of uh, uh, roundup ready crops and uh, glyphosate uh, you claim that there's a relationship to a, a whole variety of diseases, skyrocketing uh, rates of diabetes, infertility, cancer, obesity, and other things. Uh, is, has that been demonstrated? There's a lot of evidence, and I've been collecting it and discussing it with scientists and doctors and reporting about it around the world. And I can review a little bit of the findings, and it's enough to cause thousands, actually tens of thousands of physicians to now prescribe organic foods to get people off of both the GMOs and the Roundup. Now, it used to be enough to just get people off of the GMOs, and then they would avoid the Roundup sprayed on the yeah. Roundup-ready crops, plus avoiding the GMOs. Now, Roundup is used as a desiccant just before harvest of grains and beans and other aspects of our food supply. So even higher than Roundup-ready soy is the glyphosate residue in oats because it's sprayed just before harvest and the oats act as a sponge for the mm -hmm. glyphosate. Yep. Also wheat and lentils and chickpeas and whatnot. It's in wine, it's in orange juice, it's in our food supply and it's in much less, almost undetectable levels in organic. Sometimes it's there because it's in the rain and in the air, but it's much better to eat organic. So we have the evidence. We understand what it does. There's plausible causative pathways leading to more than 30 diseases, the major diseases in the United States. We see the correlational evidence, how all these diseases are rising in parallel with the increased use of Roundup and GMOs. We see that when people switch to organic, they get better from many of these diseases. When they when livestock and pets are switched to organic or non-GMO, they also recover. And we've seen from pediatricians and doctors and veterinarians, how their population suffered dramatically during the time when GMOs and Roundup were introduced as a whole. And when we see lab animals who are force-fed GMOs or Roundup, they suffer from the precursors of these same diseases in a very short order. So now we could link very specifically a, a pathway between, for example, Roundup and these diseases. If you, if you look at Roundup, if you look at Roundup and you see what its modes of action are, um, they seem to, to damage or destroy the foundations of our health. It's an antibiotic and it kills the beneficial bacteria mm -hmm. in our gut. Right. It, it chelates minerals, making us mineral deficient. It can block the production of serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine, can mess our hormones, damage our mitochondria, create leaky gut, suppress digestive enzymes, change epigenetic effects for future generations on top of birth defects, and it's a probable human carcinogen, class 2A carcinogen, according to the World Health Organization. And I'm just getting started. For which uh, Bayer is paying uh, dearly now because of the uh, uh, enormous uh, suits against them for 
one just one thing, uh, which may right. be the tip of the iceberg. Just you know, certain cancers, uh, lymphomas, uh, which are directly linked to uh, high degree of exposure, but that may just be the tip of the iceberg of the health consequences. Okay, a uh, lot to digest here. If you'll excuse the pun, uh, we're going to go on to part two and talk a little bit more uh, about uh, the genetic revolution and uh, what our guest Jeffrey Smith terms an existential threat uh, to the viability of the human race and our planet, quite literally. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.